Um, but just to give you a little background, in Acts chapter 7, there's a character introduced, a person introduced in Acts 6 named Stephen. And Stephen, uh, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, that he had grace and power. And later in Acts, or in Acts sorry, 6, 8, it says he has grace and power. And then in chapter 6, verse 10, it said he was full of the Spirit and that no one could stand against his wisdom of the Spirit. He would go and he would preach about Jesus Christ and no one could stand up to him. He was so wise and he was so full of the Spirit of God. And, and, and what happened was that people kind of got mad at him. He was winning all these people to Christ and people didn't like that. The Jews didn't like that. And so what they did was they lied, it says. It says some people lied and said that he was blaspheming against God. And so they brought him before the Sanhedrin, the ruling authorities, And when he's before the Sanhedrin, Acts chapter 7 is basically his speech, his defense, like a courtroom. And his defense and his speech is all about the Old Testament. He says, listen, let me tell you about what's most important here. And what he says in Acts chapter 7 is a beautiful articulation of what matters most. And so we're going to read tonight our text, which is this very end of his speech which is some of the last words that are recorded from this young man. And so we're going to start in verse 51 and read through to the end of the chapter. Starting in verse 51, it says, this is Stephen speaking to the ruling Sanhedrin and Pharisees. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him who you have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look! He said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So so we're going from the prophet Ezekiel's call, where God is telling Ezekiel, hey, go and tell the people that they're rebellious and bad, to the story of essentially the first martyr, the first person we have to die for their faith. Uh, I promise you tonight will be uh, encouraging. I promise. Yeah. We're just going to go through this, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you what I think is so important about this. He starts out in verse 51, and he basically says, hey, you guys don't get it. Right? He says, you stiff-necked people. And then he says this thing, which would really confuse someone today if we said it. You, know, you have uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now, I'd like to point your attention to weeks ago when we were in Joshua, when we talked about circumcision and the purpose of it. But basically, it's just a covenant with God, right? And so what he's saying 
Is, it'd be like saying, you unbaptized hearts and ears. You people who have said one thing, but your hearts and ears are doing another thing. Your hearts are not with God. Your ears do not listen to God. You stiff-necked, rigid people. Why do you not listen? And then he says something that to some of us would make us very upset. He says, you are just like your father's. You know, so many of us come from families, and and, and we may have great parents, we may have not-so-great parents, but we always want to do just a little better than the generation before us, don't we? We always just want to be a little bit better, maybe a little more patient, maybe a little less short-tempered. And he says, you're just like your father's. And he's not actually talking about their specific fathers. What he's saying is you're just like all of the leaders of Israel who have gone before you. Like we read in Ezekiel, that rebellious house, they may not even listen because they're so rebellious. You always, and then he says this, which is, would be tough if you were a pastor or a church leader. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You resist. I mean, the presence of God, which is what the Holy Spirit is, the presence of God, he's saying to these leaders, basically, it's not even just that you're not listening, but that you are pushing God away. You're so closed-eared, and you're so, your heart is so closed that you are actually pushing the very presence of God away. Like we talked about last week, you are holding down truth. You are oppressing truth. It's almost like he's saying, you think I'm the one missing the point. You think I'm the one doing the bad thing here. Here I am on trial before all of you. And look, you don't get it. It's like Stephen, this young man who sort of comes out of nowhere if you read the whole story of Acts. He wasn't one of the twelve following Jesus around. He just sort of is hanging out. Says he was actually waiting tables and serving people. He was a servant. This guy, who we don't really know much about, holds up a mirror to the religious leaders of the day and says, Look, I am not the problem. Jesus is not the problem. You are. And I don't want to talk about this too much now, because we'll talk about it in a moment. But it made me wonder how this happens today. right? How, How are religious leaders, how are those who claim to know God not listening today? And does this still happen? And I think, yes, I think it happens all over the place. And it's hard because most of us have great intentions. Even when we fail as Christians, sometimes we feel bad about it. But we'll come back to this. He goes on in verse 52 and says, listen, when we talk about the Old Testament, talk about your fathers, talk about the fathers of Israel. Was there ever a single single prophet they did not persecute? They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And these leaders didn't want to hear it. They said, no, you were wrong. After Stephen lays out this great speech about Abraham and Moses and Joshua and, and all of the prophets and all of this, the history of Israel, they basically say, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. They didn't want to hear it. In verse 53, he goes on to say, you've received the law. I mean, God gave you the law from heaven, and you still aren't even listening. You're not even following the law. If you break it down, don't worry about the prophets. Don't worry about everything else. Just just focus on the law. Go to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Even that, you're not doing it right. 
You know, last week we talked about how God has revealed himself to us in nature and, and, and through relationship and, and what we call general revelation. Things everyone can see, things everyone knows. But we also have in, in, in this world what people and pastors, and, and if you ever read a book on theology, they call it special revelation. And special revelation is the things that God gives us specifically special for us in certain ways. And one of those things is Scripture. One of those things is the law and the prophets in Scripture. And so we have this thing called special revelation that is on top of. Because remember, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 says that even if we didn't have this book, even if we didn't have the law, we could walk outside and see the mountains and see the water and see the trees and the fruit of the fields and and see relationships and how our bodies work and know there's a God. But God, being so good and so merciful and so gracious, gives us this book to let us know about who he is and how much he loves us. He says, you've even received the law. You've gotten the scriptures, the holy scriptures, and you still haven't listened. And then in verse 54, we see their response. Makes sense. We'd do the same thing. They were furious. You know, some... Translations might say that uh, they were cut to the heart. They were, it went right to their core because this is not just something they believed. It's not just like a Christian saying, well, I believe in Jesus and someone telling them they're wrong. I mean, they have based their life on this. This is their profession. Bear in mind, back in the first century and, and around this time, these leaders, these men of God would have had at least... About this much of scripture memorized, word for word. And that these guys that were really at the top levels probably would have had all of the first five books of the Bible, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and most of the prophets memorized. So give or take about that much memorized word for word. These guys were so invested in this that it cut them to their heart when they heard this. And they thought there's no way this could be true. And, and yet their response is not like a man of God. It's not, hey, tell me more about this. How can I know more? Let's talk through this. Their response, because they were so angry, is that of a petulant child. Think about when you're a kid and you get caught in a lie. Now, maybe you guys weren't liars as children. I was. But I was a really bad liar. So I always got caught. And whenever I would get caught, the first thing I would do was get really defensive and start yelling. Right? So, I mean, there's... <laughs> I, I can think of so many stories, you know. But it's one of those things where it would be like the dog would be sitting there begging and I didn't want to eat my vegetables. And so I'd scrape them off the plate and the dog would be eating them off the carpet. And my mom would say something like, Sam, don't give your vegetables to the dog. And I'd say, I didn't do that. <laughs> and the dog is licking them off the floor... And my mom is thinking, you are a liar. (laughs) But because I'm a child and because I didn't know better, I would get defensive. I would get angry. I would say, no, it wasn't me. And I see this book and I see Stephen talking to these leaders and and it amazes me that their response is they just get angry. They don't listen. They don't try to talk. They don't try to do anything more. It says they gnash their teeth at him. These are men of God. These are what's supposed to be religious leaders ruling this country. 
And essentially what that idiom means is just, they were just mad. And they were so mad that it was just like rage. They could not stand it. And then it gets worse. Because Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, in the face of accusation, in the face of anger, he would have easily known, hey, this is about to get really bad for me. Right? I mean, at least he's getting beaten. At least he's getting put in jail. But because he is not reacting to what the people around him are doing, because he's full of the Spirit and is in tune with listening to God and trust the Lord in his life, we see in verse 55 that he has a vision. And he has a powerful vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God in the throne room of heaven as a final stamp on his statement that says, this is not just my words, this is Christ saying that this is what matters most. His whole testimony leads up to the the culmination of Jesus Christ and who Jesus was. And as soon as the leaders heard it, it was too much for them. It was too much for them, not only because they didn't want to hear it, but because, like many of us know, when we've done something wrong, we are guilty and shameful about what we did. And having recently killed this prophet and killed this man, Jesus, they cannot hear in their mind that this Jesus would be at the right hand of God and they are so filled with rage that they decide that Stephen can no longer live. A beating is not enough. Prison time is not enough. That he must die here and now. And the author of Acts gives us this great little detail that the people took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And at the beginning of chapter 8, it says that Saul approved of everything he saw. See, what's tough about this is when we act like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and when we close our hearts off to God and act in anger and defensiveness, it doesn't just affect us. Here we have the religious leaders... And as we know, and if you've studied Scripture, Saul becomes the Apostle Paul, and he was trained as a Pharisee, so he was training with these men. And he saw the way they acted, and he was standing there. I mean, people were so mad. They're like, hey, young guy, hey, apprentice, take my coat so I can really whip this rock at Stephen as hard as I possibly can because my coat might hold me back. And here we have this young man holding their coats and watching over their coats thinking, this is good. This violence, this evil, this oppression of truth is good. See, when we close our hearts and our ears to God, it doesn't just affect us. It has these shockwaves to people around us. And if you read the beginning of chapter 8, it's exactly that. That after this, a persecution broke out. People started going into the homes of Christians and turning them in. Christians were put in jail. Christians were beaten. Christians were killed. Because the religious leaders of the day decided they knew better than God. Because they closed off their hearts and their ears to cling to their power and their control and what they were most used to. And Stephen, to encourage us to listen to God, look at verses 59 and 60. The first martyr, and many of you know this, the first martyr for the Christian faith that we have recorded dies in a similar way that Jesus did. Full of the Holy Spirit and forgiving those who accused him. You know, there's a lot happening in this story. The two things I really want to focus on, I want to actually encourage you first, read 
Acts 6 and 7 and 8, so you can understand this whole big picture this week if, if you have time and if you're looking for something to read and study this week. What I want to talk about is what Stephen was impressing upon the religious leaders before we go tonight. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the importance of Scripture, and I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because there's two major points. First, he says that, hey, all of this Old Testament stuff pointed to Jesus. This Old Testament, this law, the prophets, all of these things are so important. And what's amazing is that many people don't realize is they're still essential to our understanding of life today. See, many people think that Christians and those who read the Bible are are, are politically or or conservative and sort of that right-wing, hyper-conservative, you know, especially coming from America, uh, these gun-toting Trump supporters, you know. But the Old Testament is so much more applicable than people realize. That Christians are not tied into an ideology or a political system. Do you guys know that the Bible... In the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, has a whole chapter devoted to sustainable farming. In Leviticus, chapter 25, God commands the people that they should farm the land for six years and let it rest on the seventh year so that the land does not become tired and overworked and that it will be better for you in the long run if you farm and and, and grow vines and grow fruit in a way that is sustainable and good for the earth as well as human beings. So all these people today who harp about organic food and sustainable farming and all of these things, thinking it's a new idea, it's actually about 4,000 years old. Okay? God, God thought that one up. And then you also have the biggest crisis in the world right now, which I'm going to be talking about uh, later this week with, with some other people, but it's the idea of caring for refugees. Caring for the least of these. Well, as, as Stephen said, you, you, You've persecuted all the prophets. All of the prophets, the one thing the prophets talk about above all else is justice and holiness for those who are oppressed. For those who, the resident alien, like we talked about in Joshua. Amos 5 says what matters most to God is not worship, is not... It actually says in the book of Amos chapter 5, God says to Amos to tell the Israelites, I hate your worship. Not just, it's a little empty, it's a little shallow. You know, maybe spruce it up, get some new songs. No, he says, I hate your worship to the Israelites. What matters is that justice flows down like a river. So this whole idea of caring for refugees and caring for the poor and caring for the broken down, also 4,000 years old, 5,000 years old from God. You have people today that talk about things like fair and honest business. You, know, you talk about these things and you hear this stuff. People, anti-corporations and corporations are ruling the world and oppressing people all over the world. Do you know in the Bible, in the law, the whole law that these people were ignoring, it talks about that the Christian, the follower of God, will be honest and fair in all of his dealings, in all of his employees, in all of his workers will be treated with dignity and respect as children of God. So all these people who think these are new ideas, no, God addresses those too. These are just three simple examples. Let me tell you that there are so many things in the Old Testament that are so applicable to life now that the Bible has been commanding for thousands of years. The world does not realize the wisdom found in this book. And so the first thing I really want to point out that Stephen was trying to show the elders was that we need to be in this book. We, we need to be reading it. You need to know what it says. 
We need to read the Psalms. You need to read the Proverbs. We need to be talking about it more than just on Sunday nights. Which leads us to the second point. It's the Holy Spirit. How do we understand this book? How do we know what this means? And how do we do these things? God has given us so, so much. And the most important thing, as many of you will remember from the Easter stories, that when Christ died, there was an earthquake. And that big curtain they had separating the presence of God from the rest of the temple was torn in two. And what that symbolized, what would be completed at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit would go and indwell all the believers. That the presence of God left the temple and became us. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit and listening to God, we must remember that the Spirit or the Word